it's going to be a spinoff of Harry Potter from the Basilisk's point of view. <laughs> It'll be um, Rocco in the chamber. Rocco in the chamber of food. Rocco in the chamber of wizard food. Plane went bye-bye. I'm not ready for this, but we're going to do it. It's going to be real interesting. If there's one where we're, where we're going to sound like we don't know what we're talking about, it's this one. This one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also, just because there's so many conspiracies that tie in with this one thing, and so you're like... <laughs> I know. It's a lot. Zeus can handle it. The, the better question is, can anyone handle Zeus? So let's do this. Hey, I'm a person. Yeah. That's my intro this week. I may or may not be a person. And this is? Crashed Conspiracies. (laughs) This is Eli. And I'm Ian. And this is? Conspiracy Crashes. Yay! All right, this week we're doing the well-known... I forgot what it was. (laughs) (laughs) The disappearance of Malaysia Airlines Flight 370. I probably said that wrong too. No, I think you're right. All I wrote was Flight 37. And I was like, I don't think that's right. Um, (laughs) Flight 370, Malaysia Airlines. Um, Yeah, we're doing that. Um, My focus has definitely been on like, getting my master's applications in yeah 17 schools and none of them accept more than eight people a year please succeed sir all right flight 370 i want to start with like the history of like what happened that night that's probably a good call feel free to butt in because i don't know how accurate my notes are I mean, I have zero notes, so... Oh, we switched places. Yeah. So, Flight 370 was on its way to Beijing mm-hmm. from uh, Kuala Lumpur. I think that's how you say it. I'll take your word for it, honestly. I don't want to, like, anger anyone, but it's uh, K-U-A-L-A, and my brain is, like, koala. Yeah, Kuala Lumpur. Okay. And so the flight departed at 12.39, I think, and was supposed to get to Beijing a little before 6 a.m. Okay, makes sense. Um, So the flight was supposed to be like five and a half hours, I believe, and they had enough fuel to fly for seven hours and 46 minutes. So like more than enough. So the flight takes off uh, normally, like nothing's wrong. Um, with 227 passengers. Um, I have 150 from China, 38 from Malaysia, three from UK. Um, The rest were from Indonesia, Australia, France, New Zealand, Ukraine, Canada, Russia, Taiwan, Italy, the Netherlands, and Austria. A diverse flight. Yes. And there was, oh, there was one US passenger. Of course there was. The one. Um, Because, of course, America has to be involved in this, you know? Um, And 12 crew members. And all 12 of the crew members were Malaysian citizens. And so it was a, it was a Boeing 777, which is a big ass plane, like 240 people on board. That's 
239, sorry, I can't count and I can't read. Um, 239 people on board. So like, it's not like your teeny tiny, like traveling an hour planes. Yeah. She's big. And so this was March 8th, 2014 that this happened. So we take off normally a little after midnight and around 1 a.m., the people at the Malaysian airport buzz in or whatever, call in. They're like, hey, switch over to X system and talk to them now because you're on route to Beijing. The pilot very simply said, I forgot his name. Zahari Shah. Yeah. Zahari Shah very simply said, good night, Malaysia 370. And that was the last word ever heard by them kind of ominous right like good night malaysia 370 maybe he meant well well exactly like i don't know pilot speak and so like maybe that is like what they say when they sign off Mm. but it's very odd i feel like that's an odd thing to say at like 1 a.m good night yeah especially since you know it's not like any of the people in at work are going to sleep (laughs) You mean you're not at 1 a.m. going to be like, nighty-night? Probably not. I'd, I'd probably already be conked out by then. <laughs> the massive crash from outside. It was the ghost of Flight 370. It was the kid's legs finally coming in. <laughs> oh, crash landed. Poor Timmy. Was it Timmy? I think it was Timmy. Poor Timmy. <sighs> okay. Last voice communication at like 120 or so. It was 119, I believe. And it was, good night, Malaysia. Peace out, motherfuckers. Then they crossed over the zone that they were meant to. And as soon as they crossed, the radar just went away. They just kind of disappeared. Um, and now, here's the big issue with them. this disappearance, was it took over 20 minutes for the air traffic controllers to notice that the radar was gone. And so like, what were they doing for those 20 minutes? Cause like their whole job is to sit there and make sure it's going the right way. I honestly don't know enough about how uh, tracking aircraft works. I'm not sure if they necessarily have planes under constant radar communication or if they only do like intervals. Mm-hmm. Um, it also doesn't help that uh, the plane's transponder itself was off, which means it wasn't necessarily, like maybe the plane was supposed to be responsible for sending most of the signals. Right. And so like, but again, I, I don't really know enough about how air, airports and planes work mm-hmm. uh, to understand how, wh- how their communication is supposed to work. Right. Well, now the assumption here though also is it would have had to be turned off for them to go off the radar. Yeah. Then they were found on the radar again by the military. Yep. Um, so like that would allude to either they shut it off and like to reboot it and turned it back on and something, cause something malfunctioned or like that, that in itself is very odd that it got turned off and then theoretically it would have had to be turned back on for them to pick it up. Yeah. So something's a little fishy from the get-go, in my opinion. 
I do admit having a 20 minute gap in radar is not, not usually great when you have a plane that can fly at hundreds of miles an hour and like 20 minutes could mean literally like straying off course by so much. Right. Like that 20 minutes is like low key life and death. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe not necessarily life and death in this case. Uh, like in, like if, if we're talking 20 minutes and they were just heading north to Beijing, like under normal circumstances, 20 minutes would not be enough to prevent you from at least landing somewhere. That's fair. That's fair. Under normal circumstances. Under normal circumstances. Uh... Now, as you can imagine, because we've said multiple times under normal circumstances, something's yeah. about to happen that's not normal. So they kind of pieced out the military tracked them, but like didn't really look into it because they deemed the plane to be friendly. Yeah, the military doesn't really too much care about like civilian transportation unless it's like, they don't, it's not their job to monitor ports sending out civilian transports. Mm -hmm. So upon all of this, they started trying to get a hold of them. Because, you know, you can communicate through, like, whatever, walkie-talkies, essentially, in my brain, at least. Yeah. Um, and so they tried to do that for hours. They got no response. But it was still communicating with a satellite at this point. But not with any of the, like, airports in itself, the way it was supposed to. Because it wasn't yet past the time when they should have landed, they couldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. all they could do was keep trying and being like hey if you're there um pick up please we're kind of worried um so it wasn't until like 6 17 or something like that that they made a call that the passengers could be in mortal danger i mean they um, got there eventually yeah and so that was all they said at first though was that there could be some mortal danger we're gonna leave it at that I think that after hours of having lost track of a plane, like, it's a fair assumption. Yeah. So search efforts begin. Um, they started searching the South China Sea because that's where they should have been headed. No trace at all of them. And that's spoopy. So at this moment in time, this flight disappeared with 239 people on board. Some people are in mortal danger and we're looking. And so they go back and they start analyzing the data of the satellite pings from above that they were getting every hour. Now through this data, they were able to figure out that the plane veered off course. Well, they'd already known that from the, uh, the military radar. Right. But, but they hadn't known the full extent. Mm-hmm. I think this, like, confirmed how far they went, I guess, then. Yeah, like, um, like, the military saw that they were going, you know, basically, like, almost exactly in the opposite direction they were supposed to be. But, um, you know. They did nothing. Yeah, well, again, it's... It's not their problem. Anything. But, you know, they suspected, you know, maybe they're going to start aiming for, like, you know... They thought maybe they were going to try aiming for like uh, the uh, Strait of Malacca, they were going to take some route into the islands. 
Um, But then if you look at the satellite, I mean, it looks almost as if they went even further than a 180 degree turn. They like turned almost 270 degrees and dropped down to the Tropic of Capricorn, which was like, literally like it's like a what, like 27 degrees uh, latitude away from where they where they were last detected you know they were moving yeah i mean they really i don't know what was happening but they pieced out yeah they were like i don't have time for this i don't think i've ever seen before like a story where a plane changed course by more than 180 degrees right i mean that's the crazy thing is the amount that it veered planes change course And, like, that was a big thing that people, like, in my research were, like, no, they wouldn't change course, blah, blah, blah. And I was, like, planes change course all the time to this drop's going to be faster right now because of air traffic. Uh, There's a storm coming, so we're going to go around it. Planes change course. That's not unusual. What's unusual about it is that it turned around. Yeah, turned more than around. (laughs) It basically, they went off the screen, took a slight right, and then put her in the other direction and took a really hard left. And out of that left, they um, kept going. Um, They went through, they flew back over the Malay Peninsula and then around the island of Penang before heading northwest up the Strait of Malacca. Yeah. And out across the Andaman Sea. Now, to do that would have taken over an hour. And looking at the angle of the turn and how hard it was, it was determined that you had to be piloting the plane. It can't do that on autopilot. Yeah. Um, and so that was the first tip-off, for lack of a better word, of like, yo, we're dealing with something that yeah. was intentional and it could be intentional gone wrong, but whatever we're dealing with was not an accident. Um, and so as anyone would, parents and family members of those on crew or traveling or whatever, start to panic because their kid is missing now. And yeah. all they're being told is we don't know where they are. Which isn't a lie, but I don't know about you. That's not exactly what I'd want to hear. Yeah. Um, not any, like, that's my worst nightmare, nightmare is to have a kid on a plane and find out that they didn't land and no one knows where they are. So now what got really weird, though, is we make that turn and then the plane cruised on autopilot following that turn which is fairly normal. Planes go into autopilot because if you're going straight, you have no need to. Um, But it went on autopilot for four hours. So consider this. The flight was supposed to be five hours. They had gas for seven. They were an hour out. And they regressed their direction by four hours. Right, but like they have their hour out and then it would take an hour to turn around. So that's two hours. And then they flew for four, so that's six. Yeah. So they're flying more than they needed to. And so, you know, we determined at this point they're searching the water um, based on the numbers 
the amount of gas they had in it, it would have had to crash between 819 and 915 because the last signal was at 815. Something happened in that hour between 8 and 9 a.m. Now, following um, the first one was led by Australia because they were the closest to the assumed crash site. The search began by air, um, and they were using mapping techniques and everything to see if they could um, spot any sign of it. Um, and then it turned to getting out there, marine crews, to search mm -hmm. for water. Now, at this point, the big thing was find the black boxes. My understanding is a black box has like all of the communication methods recorded. So that should have answers as to what happened, but we can't find them. So they started turning to mapping to try and figure out the exact course. Um, and the Malaysian police got involved. And so now we're entering the second phase of the investigation. The Malaysian police are involved. They're doing background checks on all of the crew and all of the passengers. Now through this, they didn't really get any results. Huh. Um, all they really got was that two Iranian men had boarded the plane with stolen passports. And they had only come to Malaysia a couple of days before the flight. And so this immediately sparked the, one of the conspiracy theories that we'll get to later of terrorism. However, instead of like looking any further into it, they kind of were just like, no, they were most likely just fleeing Iran. But because through their background checks, that's really all Malaysia did. They weren't very cooperative with any of this. Um, they did the background checks and they were like, we're unable to determine a cause. It just disappeared. You're like, yay, that's so helpful. We had no idea that it was missing. So that's when investigation three started. And this was with the international accident inquiry. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of set up for failure. Because um, getting international cooperation is really hard to begin with, but now you're dealing with international cooperation right after a, a tragic accident, tragic incident um, from all around the world. And then um, the Malaysian regime was really corrupt and really not willing to work. And so it made it basically impossible from the get-go for any answers through this. Yeah. Now, because of that, they deemed efforts failed cause of disappearance unknown and they closed the case after three years basically i'm really cold hang on i'm gonna turn my fan off to me that's like we don't want to do the work to figure it out to be fair they didn't really have a lot to go on no but i think the people the relatives of the missing were really angry because they felt like um malaysia's lack of cooperation meant that they knew more than they were letting on which even if they didn't, like, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt right now and say they had no idea what was going on either. And I could be wrong, realistically. The only reason they would withhold information is if it would help, like, keep up their appearance. But I don't know how you can go any further south losing 270 people. Right. Well, and that was one of the arguments was 
they didn't cooperate, not because they were hiding anything sinister, but um, to cover up out of fear what could surface. So basically, they didn't want to have the possibility of uncovering something that could reflect negatively on the Malaysian government or airline. But I mean, they didn't do a good job of that if they're if they it's already public knowledge that they just for 20 minutes didn't notice anything on radar. Right. Like you've got that public knowledge and also that they're not cooperating. And the yeah. fact that it was their plane. If they're helping their image, they're doing it in the worst possible way. Right. Like you're not going to be helping yourself to be like, I don't know, I'm not going to help. Yeah. So I honestly think there's not enough motive for the government to directly lie about anything or cover anything up. Yeah. I think it's mostly just that, you know, when you have a regime, things don't tend to go super smoothly. Yeah. Like they're going to be hard to work with regardless. Exactly. I feel like it was more an, a legitimate failure of the government than a cover-up. I agree on that. But um, yeah, that was a cause in itself for a lot of controversy because people want answers and rightly so. Yeah. They're missing. Like they have every right to want to know what happened. Um, and like, I do think when you're grieving you're going to grasp on to any answer that seems relatively plausible. Yeah. Because as much as you want to hold on to hope that they're alive, the longer it goes, you just want an answer. Like you just want to know, are they gone? Are they not? And if they are gone, what happened to them? At this point, the case itself has been closed. They've said, this is unknown. They're just kind of gone. Sorry about it. Um, case closed. We're going to walk away. But people were like, bitch, I don't think so. So the search was continuing with volunteer engineers and scientists who met up online and formed the independent group. Um, now, the independent group studied the data that was available and used it to narrow down the search area, discovered that we were potentially searching the completely wrong area to begin with, and um, used a mapping technique to recreate the plane's trajectory and pinpoint the last location of where the last satellite, where the last satellite ping came from. English is my first language. This is really sad. Um, and now, this is where I got confused with the directions it was flying. The last ping showed that it was heading towards Antarctica. Does that line up with the directions it was flying? That's something I pointed out earlier, is that like, when they were actually like picked up by military radar, they were heading, you know, southwest. Mm -hmm. So like, not like, you know, straight down the globe. They might have wound up uh, hitting, like, South Africa if they'd held that trajectory and had enough fuel. Mm. Uh, but then the satellite picked them up at a trajectory which doesn't match up with the military radar. Right. Uh, like, literally, it, it was, like, a straight line south from, like, the middle of Indonesia. So, like, they did, like, a, like more than a 180. Yeah. From where they actually left. Um. 
and yeah, they were heading down. Uh, they were heading down like Antarctica than they were towards even like the southwest at that point. So that does confirm then the suspicion that we were looking in the wrong place all along. Hard to say. The the as I recall, one of the main issues with finding parts of the wreckage was that um, there were lots of strong currents and winds that were going to be blowing around and moving all of the stuff that we would be looking for. So the crash site itself was not where we were searching. Right. It was very likely that the stuff would have wound up where we were searching over time. That was the problem. It wasn't necessarily that we couldn't find the land zone. It's that we were convinced it would not matter. <laughs> There's a cat butt in my face. Oh, the butt has to go back in my face. Okay. Now, we're like, they're all presumed dead. They were headed towards Antarctica. Our only option now is to start looking for debris. Yeah. Start looking for something. Excuse me. He just kicked me to push me away. You wow. Do you see this foot? Like, I see that foot. Nino. Brilliant. Nino! <laughs> Stop kicking me. Simply marvelous. Anyways, so we're like, okay, all we have to do now is look for debris. We're going to find remains of people probably, um, hopefully, and like... That's horrible to say, hopefully, but give them closure. Find the bodies. Because <laughs> also, once you have a body, you have more to work with. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it also is a nice way to confirm uh, that you actually have the right wreckage from the right flight. Right. If you can genetically trace it back to one of the passengers. Mm-hmm. And also, if they had found evidence quick enough... Now that right there is the big key. It would have had to happen really fast for this to have worked. But if they could have found it before major decomposition set in, mm-hmm. they could have figured out the cause of the death. I mean, that's true. Now, and I mean, it would have had to be fast, but like that would have been the ultimate closure. Is yeah. That- theoretically they figured they would be able to look at the body's decomposition and say this was asphyxiation this was whatever yeah but unfortunately that didn't happen um so there was this guy gibson who um there's a term now coined after him called the gibson effect which is when you focus solely on areas where debris or evidence was already found because um, it will take the focus off of other areas. So it's like the intentional, like, well, they found this here, so it must be here. And like, that's used in a cover-up, essentially. Um, But like I said, we don't really know if this was a cover-up situation or a complete accident, or there's a lot of possibilities. Now, Gibson basically took his metal detector and started searching beaches around the world for clues. Um, and ultimate, right? You can laugh at it. What a champion. Like, he was gonna solve it. I just picture this old man that looks kind of like Santa Claus. Um, 
legitimately, we had a guy like Trixie and I were in, in a, the park that's across from my house at like late at night one time. And out of absolutely fucking nowhere, there was this guy walking around with a metal detector on like a park ground, like just a, like a school playground. And he was like metal detecting for something. It was really, really awful because like, especially from a distance, he was just like this silhouette carrying this long, like handled thing. And it was only later that we could tell it was a metal detector and not like an ax. So, um. See, I would expect you to go all like Taekwondo on his ass though. Oh, I would. Now need I remind you, all of our listeners, that we both know how to fight. Yeah. But in a panic, Eli's gonna do something stupid while Ian saves the day. You know it's- <laughs> I don't know about save the day. Ian will be the reason we get out alive. Okay. And I'll be the reason that one of us has severe injuries. <laughs> Together we make a perfect team. Right, this is why we're uh, sparring partners. You know, I'm, I'm the guy who makes it look too easy, and then Eli's the guy who brings in the drama, so we make a really good action movie out of it. Right, like, I don't make it look hard, but I'm the one that's like, go for the throat! <laughs> he does hard, he just makes it look really hardcore. Right. So, so I'm, I'm the one who is in charge of, like, civilian protection, whereas Eli's the guy who's going get to get us that movie deal later. Absolutely. And you could be cast. cast. That's the benefit there. You could be cast cast myself in a horror movie of the stupid things I do. <laughs> oh, God. Can you imagine having to, like, act as yourself, being terrified by your own fears, and then having to watch that movie? I mean, I've already said this before, um, not to you, but, like, in general. I don't watch myself in anything I do. If I win an award for my acting or something, I'm going to be like, thank you so much, guys. I have no idea what I actually did because I don't watch myself. <laughs> Hey, bro. Hey, bro. Awesome bro take. Yeah, man. I hoped you noticed I got it from Phoenix Fit. Like the bird? No, it's spelled F-N-X Fit. Fuel for greatness. Oh, yeah, man. You are pretty great. You know, I've totally heard of them. I get my protein powder from them. Dude, bro, you use protein powder? That's why you look so good. Man, thanks, bro. Dude, I'm looking at the website right now. They donate a gallon of clean water to parts of the world that don't have it every time you make a purchase. Well, bro, that's so beautiful. Just like our bromance, dude. I love you, bro. No, I love you, bro. Use the code CRASHER with a capital C for 15% off every purchase at fnxfit.com. <laughs> How did we veer off like this? Was it the metal detector? It was the metal detector, and we talked about the axe. <laughs> the possibility of an axe man coming for us. I mean, this will give us away as, you know, combat nerds. Right. That's okay, though. Hey, I am totally happy with, like, an alternative set of episodes, just us talking about, like, random combat stuff. And we'll do it on our Patreon as, like, a bonus episode. Okay. So, Gibson. Yeah. It- searching beaches with his little metal detector. And in Mozambique, stumbled upon a metal scrap. And he was like, huh, this looks like a horizontal stabilizer panel. Which, first of all... He's deeply, intimately familiar with these. Right. Like, who is like, huh, 
this piece of metal is this. But they were able to analyze it and found a serial code on it that did match up with what was on 370. So he did find that scrap metal was part of the plane. I don't think we mentioned the earliest discovery. There was like a part of the wing. That's what that was. No, no, no. But it wasn't on um, Mozambique. It wasn't in Mozambique. It was on um, Reunion Island. It was like a French island. Hold on. Let me find it. Yeah, no, no, no. That, that is correct. Reunion Island. They found what? Right wing flaperone. I don't know what that, I don't know what that is but it's a piece of the right wing. You're right. And it was the first piece found 2,300 miles west of the Indian Ocean area that was being searched by Austra- Australian authorities. Mm-hmm. And this was July 29, 2015. So over a year since yeah. the crash actually happened and the, and the plane was disappeared. Yeah, we went like way back there. So yeah, they found the wing part first, Reunion Island. Then there was this Mozambique thing. Then in Mozambique, they found this. And so now people are looking for plane parts because they're finding them. As they're searching, um, a lot of parts were plane parts, but wore 370s. However, good old Gibson did find a third of the pieces that have been confirmed to be part of 370. So, like, our dude with the metal detectors, not doing a bad job. But even when they're finding these, there's no black boxes. So there's no definitive answer of what happened. And that's the issue with this theory as a whole, is that there won't be a definitive answer. Now, they did some, like, research on the plane itself, The plane was 12 years old. It had never had any other emergency. It never had a malfunction. The only thing on it that was problematic was that the black box expired more than a year before the plane's disappearance. Great. Right. And so they basically could have never detected a signal from it to begin with because it was 15 months expired. And that's where like your cover, your like cover up theory kind of comes from though. And that, like, Malaysia had more to do with it than, like, initially thought. Yeah. Was because they're finding out stuff like that all of a sudden, where it's like, oh, you knew this wasn't working for over a year? Why didn't you replace the fucking batteries? (laughs) That's the history. So we're going to enter our conspiracies. There's one more more relevant piece I can offer. Go for it. Uh, They've only actually, I think, confirmed, like, for sure, three pieces of the plane. Mm-hmm. Um, but they looked at those pieces of the plane and um, there were two studies done. Um, one was that uh, uh, two of the three pieces that were positively identified uh, came from the cabin interior, which suggested that the plane had broken up uh, but it was und- it was impossible to determine whether or not it broke up in the air or during like impact with the ocean. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is that uh, they determined that from the same pieces uh, that the plane had not undergone a controlled descent, so it wasn't like a, a, a planned landing in the water or anything. Like it it just it crashed. 
yeah. crashed 100 percent. no no even like attempt to direct the plane to the landing yes so we're gonna start with our first theory the u.s shot it down the u.s shot it down yeah that's our first theory yeah is that okay go for it i went with the one that i had the least information on first so our first conspiracy is that the u.s military shot down mh370 um now this is because there's a u.s military base diego garcia in the middle of the indian ocean it's very nearby where they had presumed the plane had crashed um diego garcia is one of the most powerful military bases supposedly now the theory is that the plane was headed there on a kamikaze mission so basically to blow shit up right yeah Yeah. but they were shot down by the u.s military before they could reach the location so there the theory would continue into the Americans then had to fake the satellite data, which is why it disappeared and why it took those sudden changes. Not only that, but they would have to pick up every piece of debris to keep the fate of the plane and its passengers on the down low. So that's that entire theory. That's literally all I had on that. But it would take so long dispose of 239 bodies you know i've gotta say like it would be so much easier to just like actually observe the flight path mm-hmm. instead of just shooting it immediately mm-hmm. and like okay the the thing i see here is that they're claiming that they might have shot it down out of fear of an attack similar to September 11th attacks on the base. So they're still afraid 13 years later and have not taken any new countermeasures for a suicide bomber plane mm-hmm. in all that time. Right. And so they shot. I could be wrong here, but I'm going to give the military a little more credit than that. So that was that theory. Yeah. Our next theory, I'm going with like, I'm literally going to go through least information to our big one with the most info. So the next one would be an oxygen deficiency. Now, for this to have happened, there would have had to be a hijacking in which someone was able to damage the oxygen supply or an accident where um, an oxygen tank exploded or a misinstallation of a new oxygen tank thing yeah. or um, flying too high, uh, too high level uh, elevation. Yeah. <laughs> or um, the other way would be to make it where the oxygen masks don't drop if something happened. Yeah. But regardless with this theory, a lot goes into play of how it, what would have had to happen beforehand. Now, this is interesting because you said it showed that it was not controlled. Yeah, the forensic evidence of the uh, 
I think it was the wing in particular. Uh, not only is this one study I'm seeing referenced here, which says that the uh, plane had not been guided to a water landing. There's also another analysis which said that, um, that the plane actually probably to literally fall straight headfirst into the water. So if there was control, at least suicidal control. Right, which we'll get to. That was one of the like, contradictory things that I wanted to talk to you about on it, because like I found both and was like, um, yeah. one of these things is not like the other. Yeah. It threw me a little bit, because I was like, yeah. everything else opposes that. We, we probably have to just accept that some of these people embellished ideas to make a theory work. Oh, yeah. So for this to have the theory with that, though, the oxygen deprivation, putting aside all the evidence that goes against it and everything that would go through with it, the underlying theory would be that everyone on the plane fell unconscious, um, including the captain, which is why it went on autopilot until it ran out of fuel and then crashed. The turn was still intentional. All of that happened after the turn. Well, unfortunately, that's kind of like the lamest theory. Now, you say lame, but I say Eli's a genius because this segues right into our next theory. Okay. You're welcome. Um, our next theory is a cockpit fire. Mm. Now this comes from a American pilot. Um, I couldn't find his first name, but his last name's Goodfellow. It's kind of funny. Um, and he suggests that a fire in the cockpit led captains to turn west toward a nearby airstrip. So that's why the turn happened, was there was a fire and they needed to do an emergency landing, so they needed to get to the nearest airstrip. Did he say how near? They passed it. I know they passed it. Well, there's your problem. And of course, because it's a theory, they're going to try and, we're going to try and erase that problem because that's more fun than being like, well, this is flawed. One more thing. Didn't you say the turn itself took like an hour? Mm -hmm. So they were emergency turning for an hour. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but that just, um, that seems a little leisurely to me is all I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. So basically they're saying that for this to have happened successfully, what, what this guy is saying happened. It would have been a fire. Um, it would have had a loss of communication because of the fire. Um, now, for that to have happened, the fire would have to be electrical. And so if we're dealing with an electric fire, they would need the crew to focus on flying the plane and keeping everyone safe over sending a distress call. That's fair. Um, and so they're saying the turn could have happened just fine over that hour, especially if it's just like a small fire, because the oxygen masks would come down. So his theory was that the pilots um, passed out and died due to smoke inhalation. 
And so everyone's dead because of smoke inhalation and the plane ran for hours on autopilot because they died, which lines up with the uncontrolled landing, but none of the found pieces show any evidence of a fire. Yeah. We also have to keep in mind that again, even after we lost contact with, with military radar, we show Hours. evidence, very convincing evidence, that the trajectory of the flight continued to change uh, rather significantly, mm -hmm. which doesn't really line up with the crew going unconscious. Yeah, um, it wouldn't be adjusting consistently. Um, if it were this case, um, the movements would be extremely erratic. Um, and so this is just too controlled to be an out-of-control situation. I'd agree with that, yeah. The consistency of the, of the plane's flight. Like, in this case, there's just, like, not really a feasible way that that would have been what happened. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately so, like... We'd all I mean, we'd love to think that everyone was doing their best in a bad situation and then it just didn't work out. That's a good way to, it just doesn't seem like what happened. Yeah, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't fit. Um, and because it doesn't fit, it's really hard to sit here and be like, yes, this is what happened. Because in all honesty, most likely not what happened. Yeah. Um, so there's no evidence to prove it. Um, however... In 2017, burnt paneling was found um, that suggested a fire. However, it was never confirmed to be part of 370. So even though they found some stuff, it doesn't line up. It's not necessarily that plane. They couldn't say it was. So it could be, it could be just charred in the right places to not show that it's it. But again, the likelihood is very low, especially because it kept traveling. It doesn't make sense for the fire to have taken place the way described in this theory. Well, also, even if there was a fire, which let's play along, there was a fire. Ah, someone would have noticed it. People are awake at six in the morning. I mean... I'm not sure if you would necessarily see a fire from within the workings of a plane in the sky. But do you think at this point, like, I guess my thought on it would be that it would have been burning for so long that you would see all of the smog and shit from it? Maybe. Honestly, I'm more interested in, like, how long the plane was burning, reportedly, without anything else going wrong. Exactly. Yes. And that's, that's my biggest issue. And because it's never addressed, it kind of instantly invalidates it. It's also inconsistent with how the, like, uh, the communication devices on the plane were, like, in order turned off. Right. Like, like the, uh, the aircraft communication addressing and reporting system sent its last transmission at 1.07 a.m. So mm -hmm. only, like, 20 minutes after the flight started and yeah. was then turned off 
Then there was a voice communication at one at one nineteen, and at one twenty one the transponder was turned off. But if it was an electrical fire doing this, then it wouldn't do that. Correct. And also, they would have had to have been on fire literally almost as soon as they got into the air. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's where like they started talking about where the fire would have had to happen for this to be feasible. And for this to be a feasible option, the first consideration was that the fire was um, on the pilot side windshield heater. And with that catching fire, it would burn the circuits of the um, secondary radar transponder and um, Acker's communication system. Okay. So, I'm like, okay, that kind of makes sense. But if it's in the pilots, if it's in the cockpit that this is happening, he's not going to live long enough to make that huge ass turn. Additionally, the fire there as described, yeah, it would explain the Ackers. But then why during the last voice transpondence did they, instead of saying, well, we're uh, experiencing technical difficulties. Our plane is on fire, and uh, we have a lot of crew and passengers. We'd like to help land safely. Good night. Yeah, exactly. Instead, they just said, good night, Malaysia. Me, though. I'm okay, I promise. Um... I'm, I'm just saying, like, it, the narrative still doesn't match with anything. No, it doesn't. You know, I love the weird theories. You know that. Mm-hmm. What I'm about to say, though, you're going to be like, what? Eli? Now, they are saying there were in the luggage compartments of the plane, that what they're called, um, there were lithium-ion batteries. And we have seen this happen before where those explode. Yeah. And so they did say that would be the only other reasonable explanation for a fire that would start further back in the plane. It all just seems very sketchy. Mm-hmm. Now, my personal favorite conspiracy. This would be conspiracy theory number four, because I had six. Ready? Aliens! Of course. You're trying to board your flight to go to Beijing, but you saw a UFO the other day, and, you know, the men in black can't stand for that. Gotta go follow it, um, and the men in black are gonna wipe you out now. You know, it's kind of cool that we're getting to a point, though, where we're able to reference our old episodes. Basically, though, they're saying that they were intercepted by a visiting alien UFO, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which took them into a time portal mm. um, where they were then held against their will by otherworldly aliens. I love this theory. What evidence do they have? Hang on. We'll get there. Oh, it's not done. Now, the Chinese satellites show three, like, weird orbs near the plane's last sighting. And so those are assumed to be the UFOs that intercepted it. Of course. Um, now, of course, like, you're dealing with the satellite. It's probably not the cleanest. Um, like, if you're picking up three orbs from a satellite image... You probably just have dead pixels in your computer monitor now. Right. Here's my favorite part of this 
13% of Americans polled believe that aliens were the cause of the disappearance. That's good enough for me, man. The aliens did it. I don't know if we've learned our lesson yet. I can't stress enough how dangerous it is to have a time zone that you trap people in. Like, did we not learn our lesson from the previous episodes about how fucked up warping time is and how, like, it doesn't work at all in our benefit? Clearly, we've learned nothing because here we are again. Do they realize we can detect time warpage? What? Like, we actually do this all the time. Like, we can literally measure the, like, difference in our clocks and satellite clocks, which is a result of time warpage. See, but, like, while, yes, that is a thing that we can do, you have to remember that to do that, you'd have to be smart. Mm. So the proof of the aliens was that right after the four-year anniversary, a black box recording surfaced on the internet. And the recording was in military code. Said military code translated to danger, SOS. It is dire for you to evacuate. Be cautious. They are not humans. 0429339642300. It's really convenient that the civilian transportation black box was uh, encrypted with military coding. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. I wonder, I wonder how they got their hands on such military encryption, being a civilian transport. I also wonder what happened to this black box, which I'm sure the governments have been very interested in finding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what, what happened to this black box, this report, this magnificent boon to the investigation? Um, you know, people took it seriously and looked at the numbers they sent, which actually was coordinates to the last like location pinged. Yeah. That's it. That's all I got. Why would the aliens bother not hanging on to the black box? All this trouble to trap them in a time warp. Mm-hmm and just brought the black box back four years later. So their best efforts to make themselves known was one transmission. That sounds like a voicemail, yeah. Nice. They're also using earthly codes. Like they're going Romeo, Alpha, like they're using human uh, military, uh, like I'm not even sure what the, if it's actually code, it's just, can, it just helps prevent confusion when you're trying to spell something on the radio. I don't know about you. Well, no, actually, I know you don't know this because you didn't research this end of things. That's right. This all came from a Twitter user. <laughs> In an hour and a half of this going viral, the Twitter account was completely edited to look like that of a 15-year-old's. Nice. So, like... Really, really good job covering it up, you know? I mean, that's, that's about as legit as you get, man. So, I mean, obviously that's our answer as to what happened. And we're done, right? Um, no. Okay. We have two theories left. Now, these are leading into, in my opinion, more viable options. Okay. There's hope for us yet. Hijacking. Yeah. Now, 
Hijacking is the most dominant theory in the UK and Australia. The first was that um, they could have had people on the plane who broke into the electronics and equipment bay okay. on the plane and were able to use that. And from there, um, were able to pull the electronics and make them malfunction and go off and on like that and lose connection. Now, that makes sense. It's feasible, yes. I'll say that much. I didn't mean like makes sense, like yes, that's it. But like that's a that is a possibility. It is a legit thing that can happen. Yeah. They're saying um, by doing that, they would have had to have someone on the ground also to fake satellite data data that the researchers would then use to pinpoint the flight. Or if they weren't going to do that, they would have to go north into Kazakhstan where the buildings and runways are large enough to have the possibility of hiding a 777. I think one of those options is easier than the other. Yeah, go ahead. You can't just like click the Wi-Fi symbol on your MacBook and connect directly to a satellite. Right. Um, unless they literally had a guy, not even just like on the ground, but on the inside who was actually like within the monitoring team for the satellite, you wouldn't be able to fake the data in a way that would convince the satellite, obser uh, the satellite observers that the data was actually from the satellite. Yeah. You cannot fake satellite data like that. It just isn't done. The, so yeah, like for sure, just drive the thing somewhere you can hide it. That's the easy, obviously the easier solution here. So my next note, though, was how would one hide a Boeing, 77, a Boeing 777 and several hundred passengers? Honestly, probably wouldn't be that difficult. You think? I mean, if we're talking like an organization as opposed to just like a couple amateur tests. Okay. Like, like, you could definitely arrange things so you could quickly take the people and move, you know, move them. No one would know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have terrorists, you know, we still today have like terrorists holding so many live hostages that we have yet to find. That's true. And we even know where they came from and where they were going. So like, uh, I feel like it would be honestly easier than we think. Probably. I'll give the benefit of the doubt and say you probably could. Um, but then again, if you got there and you killed anyone who didn't cooperate, you've still got bodies to dispose of. We haven't even gotten to the real question, which is what is the point of taking hostages and not announcing their hostage status? Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the big issue is there's no real motive for this type of hacking to occur. There's not a motive for a hostage hacking. And I mean, that shit does happen though. It's usually a motive, and they usually make it known pretty quickly. Now, my favorite hijacking theory, our last one, was that the plane was hijacked so they could kill everyone. I'm sorry. So they could kill everyone and harvest their organs. That didn't work out so well. You know what? I think they, they were like, wow, we actually did it, guys. Like, we did so well. And then they got too busy actually harvesting the organs that they forgot to steer. 
absolutely that's how that works how it happens no i saw that one and like just died laughing it's like how you know in order to service the organs and sell them you have to land right <laughs> but no i mean that's why they went to kazakhstan and hid the plane obviously duh um big brain plays right no i mean i was literally like sitting here though and was like who is coming up with these theories and like why are they on like multiple art like articles as like a believable theory hey bro hey bro awesome bro take yeah man i hoped you noticed i got it from phoenix fit like the bird no it's spelled fnx fit fuel for greatness Oh yeah, man, you are pretty great. You know, I've totally heard of them. I get my protein powder from them. Dude, bro, you use protein powder? That's why you look so good. Man, thanks, bro. Dude, I'm looking at the website right now. They donate a gallon of clean water to parts of the world that don't have it every time you make a purchase. Well, bro, that's so beautiful. (laughs) Just like our romance, dude. I love you, bro. No, I love you, bro. Use the code CRASHER with a capital C for 15% off every purchase at fnxfit.com. Now we're going to enter the final theory for the reason. Reason? The final theory for the evening. I'm really good at the English language. Our final theory, which I personally find the most believable... And I don't know, I don't know where you stand on that. But um, it is the suicide theory. If something happened other than just like a freak accident, I kind of think it would have been this. Yeah. So the theory that the crew itself was involved in in the uh, disappearance of the plane, the change of course, Mm-hmm. Uh, and the eventual sinking, possibly nose first. There's a lot of forensic evidence which matches that, mm-hmm. including but not limited to the fact that the communication systems were manually turned off. Yes. And the fact that right before the uh, voice communication was turned off, there was the ominous message, Good night, Malaysia despite having just barely taken off and despite that there would still probably be communication between, you know, the different airports and the plane. But yeah, that it, that they said goodnight Malaysia and then two minutes later, the whole system was turned off manually is a uh, suspicious. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I kind of think this is the most likely. Now, psychologists say... No, because not all of the crew was showing signs of social isolation, um, change in habits, interests, social neglect, self-neglect, sorry, and drug abuse. Just because not all of them were showing it doesn't mean that the one in charge isn't. They needed to look at our captain once you're up in the air, you have to follow captain's orders. Especially when people were confirming that he was kind of on a downhill spiral. Yeah. Why didn't we look 
Yeah. Deeper to, this, to this day, the government reports still don't actually say much about whether or not anyone was like depressed or suicidal, suicidal at the time. But um, we have lots of actual interviews with different crew members who like who had worked with the captain before but weren't on the actual flight yeah. for obvious reasons. They would not have been able to give us such a nice interview. Are you sure? But yeah, we have interviews which imply that there was a lot of shit going on in his life. Yeah. So, um, this theory is also just kind of the most widely known theory. Um, the New York Magazine pounced on it and published all of the documents that supported it pretty quickly. Um, now, it's a magazine. It's not going to be your most trustworthy or reliable source. Yeah. But this wasn't the only magazine to be jumping on it, which again, doesn't make it more or less credible. Yeah. You're in an era of social media and that's a lack of a better word, a hot story. That's going to get a lot of traction, a lot of attention. Of course, they're going to want to jump on something like that. However, um, within interviews, people were saying that um, his marriage was falling apart. Um, his wife and his son moved out of the house actually the day before this flight. He was cheating on his wife with a flight attendant. His friends were basically saying, like, he got caught cheating, and that kind of really threw him because he thought he was this secretive genius. Yeah. And he got really depressed, really irritable, really angry when he got cheating. Got cheating? Got caught cheating. The documents that were published... And again, friends confirmed that this happened, showed that he had flown the same route with the same ending on a flight simulator um, two weeks before. Yep. And so like that right there is a lot of, I don't want to say evidence, but like a lot of reason to believe to an extent. Yeah. That that could be what happened. It's not like it automatically implies guilt on the other hand why would you simulate a flight to the middle of nowhere to like the middle of the ocean why would you um simulate a flight where everyone dies (laughs) yeah if i were his captain or whatever they're called like when you're in charge of them and i saw one of my students one of my employees doing that. I don't know about you, but if it were up to me, he would not be flying for a while. I mean, it it did say it was his at-home flight simulator. Yeah, that's true. So, like, they probably weren't able to monitor what he was doing. Yeah. He'd be in for a psych evaluation and on temporary leave. There's a lot stacked up against the captain. Yes. And I do, I am one to say that, like, I do think this one stands a decent amount to be a fathomable event to have taken place. I don't think you could convincingly 
prove in a court of law or in a, a formal debate that like the captain was indeed responsible. Oh, absolutely not. But like, of all the theories I've heard posed, this holds the most water. Yeah. Now, we get into ways that this could have happened. The first would have been um, he himself hijacked the aircraft and flew it to the end. Now, they're talking about a hijacking, though, in a very different way than we've been talking about in this episode. Mm-hmm. They're talking about hijacking as in he would have locked the co-pilot out of the cockpit. That way he would have complete control over it. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, if he has total control, you can't stop him. Yeah. So once again, it's not lining up in his favor, but it's lining up as a valid argument. Now we're going to get into a little less believable territory again, because we are going to go through the other ideas as to what he would have had to do. So we're going to start with... um, He had to fly up over 40,000 feet, which would depressurize the plane, giving them about 17 seconds to get those oxygen masks on in order to be able to breathe. That's not a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So it would suffocate the passenger, and then he would repressurize it to fly far into the Indian Ocean and then sink it. Now, that would mean that he would have all of that time during that turn to repressurize it. But where it loses me in terms of validity, evidence shows that it was not a controlled landing, right? So he would have had to die at some point Yeah, for this landing to happen. And if he was alive when he depressurized it and then repressurized it, when and how did he die? Was he alive for the entire keep crash? Keep in mind, the actual definition of controlled landing in the context of this study was um, the plane had not been guided to a water landing. Oh. So they had not mitigated their crash. Okay, that makes a big difference then. Yes. So, I mean, that's basically the theory of how he did it. And I mean, I think both of those theories make sense, though, that he would have locked the co-pilot out. Yeah. Because no one can get in there to stop him. He's able to get his down before he depressurizes it. He's guaranteed to be able to breathe still. So, like, to me, that makes sense. Now, the last thing before I let you go off on whatever tangent we're going on, because I'm so ready, is um, Occam's Razor. Simplest possibility is probably Probably. likely to be correct. Which means going off of Occam's razor, your most likely situation is that they crashed into the South Indian Ocean and Mm -hmm. debris wasn't found because the search started in the wrong place and um, outside forces making it harder to find them quickly. What do you mean by outside forces? Choppy waters and stuff like that. Ah, environmental factors. Yes. That is indeed the most likely explanation. 
we can sit here and say, yeah, they probably did this. And so, right, you're going to sit here now, and that's where it goes into, like, was it a suicide or not? I mean, the dude was having a rough life. Yes. I personally, shit was happening in his life. I'm not going to deny that, and I'm not trying to, like, invalidate that, if that makes sense. To kill yourself and to kill everyone on your plane is two very different things. Yes, However, it nonetheless has happened throughout history, has it not? I mean, it definitely has. We know, just historically, that people have been willing to, like, commit suicide with a whole plane. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm just like, it would have saved a lot of people a lot of pain. It absolutely would have. But I do think that that's, unfortunately, the most likely thing to have happened. Yeah, it... I'm not even sure what tangent you expected me to go off on. I wasn't sure if you had what arguments you had against it, but I feel like we kind of argued through this one. Uh, yeah. The, the only thing I can really say for the crew suicide one is that there is no definitive proof that the flight itself was specifically controlled by the captain. There's implication that he might have been willing to and that he might have been premeditating a flight similar to what was taken but it's we don't have anything that like actually says this is what happened no and unfortunately we never will yeah yeah man it's a crazy thing isn't it (laughs) it really is it's like it's awful i'm terrified of planes to begin with I hate flying. And so like, while this theory is like extremely interesting, I'm sitting here being like, I am never getting on a plane again. Like, not only is plane flying statistically safest method of transportation, but also this probably has to be like the rarest. Like, I don't think there's ever been a similar. No, there hasn't. Plane flight to this. So like, the odds of this being you, Eli, is almost nothing. I'll just stay in my car. <laughs> okay. So I was, we were on a plane um, during a blizzard. Mm. And it fishtailed so bad. Like, it was honestly terrifying. And, like, my mom, who's always, like, so composed, was, like, completely panicking. It was intense. Obviously, everything was fine. You know it's bad when your captain comes on and is like, hey guys, um, <laughs> don't yeah, exactly. panic, but if we do an emergency landing, um. Yeah, as soon as they start reminding you what their absolute worst case scenario survival plan is. Oh, fuck. Um, obviously it was fine. I mean, I agree with you that like the likelihood of something like that happening is very low. But I think the idea that it can happen is kind of terrifying. But that gets into, like, you can argue the um, 9-11 stuff. is like you can't live in fear yeah. of this thing happening because... Technically, there is a, like, physical probability that your entire arm will just, like, warp off your body. Huh. Like, it's not... It's not physically impossible right but like the likelihood of it happening yes 
it's it's just so low that it's you have to decide at what point probability is worth putting stock fear into right yeah um so with that in mind you can find us on our website conspiracycrasherspodcast.com go there because on that website it has a link to listen a link for merch um the patreon link is up through that you can learn a little bit about us on it um it's a pretty cool place um we also can be found on instagram at conspiracy crashers podcast um where we will be starting to announce next week's episodes on the instagram by posting some cryptid images for you guys to try and use to figure out what we're covering we can be found on facebook at conspiracy crashers on twitter at, at conspiracy pods and our email if you have suggestions ideas of what you want us to cover advice whatever conspiracy crasher at gmail.com yeah my dad asked the other day what the eggplant emoji meant and i was like it has to do with your enjoyment of vegetables i was like um i'm not gonna tell you what that means but and he goes does it mean then he goes does that mean the cat emoji means